G'day, footy fans. Welcome to the Rugby League Week podcast, grand final week, joined by Shane Bugden, Rocco, Luca. Boys, before we get to the big one, the Dragons. Let's have a look. What on earth is going on with the Red V? They've put out a bizarre press release this week. This is a club that loves to manage the media. Rocco, I know you've got a bit of an interest over there. Tell us what's going on. What's all this window dressing about uh, performance committees? This team was an absolute shocker this year, long way off the pace. What are they doing to fix it, or what are they telling their fans they're doing to fix it? Look, this is arguably one of the biggest clubs in, in the competition, and frankly, they have absolutely let their fans down. They've put out this press release yesterday titled... Dragons accept criticism and begin work for 2017. I mean, that title said it all. As soon as I saw that, I felt for every Dragons fan out there. I knew what they were feeling. Uh, It's weak, it's pathetic. And to top it all off, they've now confirmed Paul McGregor will be the coach in 2017. Look, no team, no club needs a freshen up more than the Dragons. I'm talking from the board from the CEO to the whole coaching staff, which is a boys' club right now. I mean, just let me read you some of these quotes out of this press release. So there's um, Peter Dow, CEO, will remain there. There is no hiding from the NRL result. And post our disappointing season, the board wanted to ensure all aspects of the 2016 programs were considered and specific plans for improvement in 2017 developed implemented and regularly evaluated. Sorry, Rocco, I think Shane's asleep over there. That's, uh, geez, isn't that just a lot of uh, a lot of rot? Shane, tell us what's going on over there. Now, they've this Rugby League Performance Committee they've put in place. For me, quickly, if you haven't got rid of Peter Doust and or Paul McGregor, then you're missing the point, surely. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, what, what Rocco's reading out there just sounds like the sort of stuff you hear on uh, the footsteps of Parliament House. It's politician doublespeak. It doesn't really mean anything. It's... Yeah, window dressing. It's the uh, appearance of, of doing something without actually having done anything. And we had, you know, a, a huge volume of correspondence come into the magazine this year from fans of, uh, of St George Illawarra, and the level of frustration is palpable. This was also seen when the Sunday Telegraph did their, their uh, survey of all the fans. And if you can't just have a brief look at that or any of the correspondence that we received and just poll the wind and know that if you don't do something very definite and you don't make changes in personnel right at the top of that organisation, then you're not, you're not going to the heart of the fans' concerns. Well, bizarrely enough, boys, on the day this came out was Dally M. Now, didn't see a lot of the Dragons featuring there on uh, Dally M night. Fair play to Joel Thompson taking out the Ken Stephen medal for his community work. Great effort. But on the field, they were absolutely nowhere, the Red V. Now, the blokes that did win it, Jason Taumalolo from the Cowboys won the Rugby League Week Player of the Year award as well. So... There you go. There's the best indication he had a great year. Players champion as well. Tied in the Dally M with Cooper Cronk. Now, interestingly enough, no forward had won the Dally M since 1989, which is quite incredible. Gavin Miller. Rugby League Week have had seven forwards win our award since 89. Surely that shows, boys, the Rugby League Week ratings, every player, every game, a much better cross-section, better representation. And the Pigs, they can win it. The forwards. Yeah, completely. Uh, it's just a much better system. Um, the Dallium Awards it might be glamorous, red carpet and all that. Yeah, it was glamorous. But it's just, it's not fair. It's not a fair system, I don't think. There's no transparency. Like we said, I mean, we might be a bit biased, but our system, 
is definitely the better one. Every player gets rated. You know who's who's judging the who's judging the games. It's it's just a fairer system and it's transparent. The fans know what's going on. Yeah, and I think the recognition for the forwards is an outstanding thing because it's a bit of a, a bit of a cliche when you talk to players post game, especially playmakers and backs. But they they do tend to give a lot of credit to the work that's been done up front. And you know, it doesn't matter how good your halves are if you're playing behind a beaten pack is another well worn cliche. But you know, cliche or not, it is true. And to get that sort of recognition. Uh, right up at the top end of the game at the biggest awards, I think, is, is so long overdue. It's it's mind-boggling, actually. Yeah, Nathan Hindmarsh, Luke Bailey, Steve Price, Corey Parker, just named a few blokes since 89 who've put forwards who've won the Rugby League Week Award. So the last round, boys, round 26. Now, we had Jason Tamalolo and Cooper Cronk went in level on 26 votes. I was at the medal. I've got to say, it was pretty exciting. They were up there on stage ready to go. We don't find out who did the votes in those last games. Now, Melbourne won the minor premiership, beat Cronulla. Cooper Cronk couldn't get a vote. The Cowboys whipped the Titans. Jason Tom Lolo got an eight in Rugby League week, as did Gavin Cooper and Lachlan Coote. Couldn't get a vote in the Dally M's. We get a tie. Surely one of those blokes was up for a vote with last round victories to come out as a solo winner. Look, that's that's what's the suspect thing about it. Uh, if Tom Lolo didn't score a point... In that last game, I mean, I'll walk from here to China. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he'd be the standout out of the two, from what I recall, the last game that Melbourne played there. You know, we we, we did give out some mates in that game, but Cronk wasn't one of them, whereas Taumalolo was, you know, that was a big win up there. We didn't give one to Thurston, so Taumalolo actually stood out above the uh, the other JT in that side, and it, yeah, quite quite puzzling that it wasn't reflected in the DLM. To be fair, boys, look, it's a joint joint winners, and we've got to say they both had fantastic seasons. As we said, Jason Taumalolo's won next to everything. Magazine awards, players champion, now shared the Dally M. So a huge year for him. Unfortunately, the Cowboys couldn't quite get there to defend their title. Went out in the uh, the prelim final. Now, just talking about the Cowboys winning it last year, Jonathan Thurston, of course, produced, as he does quite often, the moment, ran across the field, gave it to Morgan, set up the winning try, then the field goal. Who gives us the uh, JT moment this weekend in the grand final, the Storm and the Sharks? Who's got the uh, the magic to win the game if it's on the line in the 80th minute? Well, you'd say, you know, off the top of your head, the Storm have so many experienced players, you know, Smith and uh, Cronk foremost amongst them. But when we picked our uh, Clive Churchill medal winners in the magazine, I actually went a bit of a different way and went for Cameron Munster. And I think he's the sort of bloke, if, if the game is close, He's, you know, the way he plays from the back and can sort of chime into the line and be like another 5-8 for him. I think he's someone who can pull something special out for sure. Yeah, look, I think this game, I think it's going to be a defensive game and I think it's going to be one in the forwards. Both packs are are pretty strong, but um, the Storm have the best, in my opinion, the best prop in the world in, in Jesse Bromwich and... I think he's going to lay the platform for Cooper Cronk to do his thing, from for Cameron Smith to do his thing from dummy half, and I honestly think he'll he'll be the most influential player on the field. Yeah, unlike the Dally M's, I think the uh, the medal on grand final night quite often. Sam Burgess obviously won it. The forwards do lay the platform. I've gone for Paul Gallon myself. It won't be a JT moment because he won't be running quite as quick or moving uh, as swiftly as the great JT. But I think Paul Gallon, the spiritual leader of this club, has played his whole career to get to this grand final. So. If the Sharks are going to do something and match that man, Jesse Bromwich, up front, then for me, Gallon's got to lead the way. The controversial Fafita as well. Let's hope there's nothing on his wristband. Just the black wristband, Andrew, will do the job. But he is going to be massive for Cronulla. He's got to lay the foundation for him as well. They've got the speed and they've got the players to score some tries and they're going to have to to beat Melbourne. If they get in the grind 
it's over, well, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I agree with that. But how much of a part does round 26 play on this game? Uh, we all know that was for the minor premiership. We know both sides were going at it. Um, as a result, Cronulla lost and they had to travel to Canberra. So they wouldn't have wanted that going into that game. So they 100% would have wanted to win that game. But they got touched up and they got touched up pretty badly. So how much of that impacts the decider on Sunday? Well, you know, that's an interesting point. We uh, got Ivan Cleary in this week's issue with the mag and he, he does talk about that in his preview of the game. And Cronulla played a very different style of footy last time they met the Storm. They threw the ball around a lot. And it was quite a surprising thing to see. And a lot of that, I think, goes to the fact that the, the round before, the Broncos played the Storm down in Melbourne and gave them a drubbing by using the ball a lot, putting yeah. them on the back foot. And one, one thing that Ivan says is, you know, Melbourne like to control the ruck and the speed of the game so much that it's worth taking a few chances early on and trying to break them down a bit. And hopefully with the with the second phase that Cronulla are able to produce through people like Fafita especially, but also through their back row with uh, with Wade Graham, who's, who excels at it, and also Luke Lewis. Lewis, that they have the uh, the ammunition to, to break that defence down and do it early on. Yeah, I guess also the fact that it was played at Amy Park. I mean, we know Melbourne's a lot more formidable at home. So. Slippery yeah, Cronulla conditions are going to have 95% there. of the crowd, maybe even a bit more on Sunday. So, look, Luke, speaking of Luke Lewis, I mean, he's uh, 13 years since the grand final with, uh, with Penrith Panthers. Now, the record between winning grand finals in the NRL is 14 years for Lottie Takiri from Brisbane in 2000 through to South. So Luke Lewis, 13 years. If they can win it, Chris Hyington won one in 2005. So a lot of experience in that side. Look, is it a bit of a furphy, though? Everybody keeps saying that if you're going to beat Melbourne, you've got to play some footy. Don't get in the grind with them. Some of these teams go straight out there. I think, as you said, Shane, you play them and you think you have to throw it round early. If that all goes wrong, you throw it round a bit willy-nilly, that's a disaster as well. So you've got to find that perfect mix, which, to be fair, Melbourne is probably the team that finds that mix, they grind you, but then they've got Vuni Valu, Korobiti, Chase Blair's been outstanding, and the man Cooper Cronk in sixth six grand final. Well, they have been out ground, you know, at home this year. The Dogs did that to them. That wasn't a high-scoring affair at all, and they just, you know, played the sort of footy that they're famous for, and it worked. And in large parts, I thought last uh, Saturday, uh, Canberra played them up through the middle of the field and did a very good job. They were, put a lot of pressure on them with their defence, and you know, a few balls go to hand that didn't go to hand and there could have been a different result in that game. I don't think it's impossible to do, but I do take your point that if you're going to pick a team that you don't want to get in a hole against early on and have to, you know, chase points against, Melbourne is, it would be the absolute worst team to be put in that position against. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see too. I mean, the thing about Cronulla with the history, there's going to be some nerves. It has to be. You can say the young blokes don't, don't really care about it that much. It's 50 years. At the end of the day, it's going to play on your mind. Are they going to be as nervous as Jonathan Thurston gets? Now, we've heard a great yarn from Sam Thayday who told us that when they played each other in that epic game and everyone said, oh, JT had been crooked the whole week, jumps out of hospital bed to win him the game. Sam said that uh, this is just a thing with JT. This is part of his story, part of his legend. He's quite often got very ill the night before test matches, origin games, the build-up, the pressure. That's how he deals with it. We know a lot of guys disappear in parts of the... The dressing room might be a bit crook or whatever it is. They all deal with it indifferent. But JT, as uh, as Sammy told us, and look, he's given him a great nickname, Fonda Matassa. Now, Shane, you'll know a bit about Fonda Matassa being a South man, the golden Greek. 
Give us a bit of his story and uh, why it would be that uh, that's the little nickname Sammy Thiday thrown on JT. Uh, Fonda, when he played for South, had a habit of keeping a comb in his sock so that when he scored a try, he could walk past the crowd and comb his hair and make sure he looked his best. But I think the reason Sam's <laughs> given it to him is that when Fonda was playing footy up in the Brisbane comp and he was playing in a side against a team uh, Fatty Vorton was in, got knocked out brought the ambulance onto the field, loaded Fonda into the back of the ambulance. Fonda wakes up in the back of the ambulance just as it's about to go off the field and throws open the doors and charges <laughs> out of the ambulance and gets back in the defensive line. So, yeah, that sort of miraculous turnaround, climbing off your, your sickbed, that, that's, that's probably the best example I've ever heard of it in footy. Yeah, what a great story. So you can imagine the uh, the banter that goes back and forth between uh, blokes like Thiday and uh, Thurston, but that's his thing. There will be guys on, on Sunday, the nerves kick in, you know, whether you make yourself crook with nerves or you can sit there and listen to the music and let's just hope for the sake of the Cronulla people, particularly that the nerves don't kick into some of those guys. You don't want to be thinking about the history, but the fact is it's there. It's their story and they've got to learn to deal with it. That's one of the things I love about watching the uh, telecast of the grand final is, is trying to get a, a handle on how the teams are travelling by looking at them in the rooms before the game. The best example of that being in 03 when Penrith got up against the Roosters weren't weren't expected to do much in that game and when you saw the vision in the sheds all the Penrith boys are mucking around throwing stuff at each other very very relaxed and you looked in the Roosters room and they were just really really uptight and that's when I first started to think yeah could be something on here yeah but they they started well and you could see they were up for it there so I think I don't think Cronulla can can win this from behind so I think if they come out nervous show signs of nervousness I think the Storm are going to smell blood and I think they're going to just grind that game out. I don't think Cronulla can win this game coming from behind. So if they don't set the tone early and they show any signs of nervousness, jitters, Cronulla can't win this game. That's uh, I'd agree with that. Yeah, like I said, you know, the hardest team to chase if you if you if you're down in the hole. But you know what what they were able to do against, admittedly, a very depleted and tired Cowboys outfit last week. You know, they were ruthless, Cronulla. They, they kept the ball, they kept it away from the Cowboys. They had a bit of help, you know, with some with some calls in that game. But if they can play there or thereabouts, which was, you know, a, a quantum leap from the, last, the way they were in round 26. But they, they, they were up they for can, that. They, yeah. they came out on the front foot, they were up for that. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. They need to replicate that. They need to get on the front foot in this because mm. they can't win it from behind, especially but, against... But I think this. what you're talking about, guys like Hayington, like Lewis, like Ennis... Um, like Gallon, there's an, and Maloney, of course, there's enough big game experience in, in that team to sort of keep everyone in the right frame of mind. So, yeah, yep. fingers crossed. Yep. Now, once we get through the grand final, boys, of course, there's no rest for a lot of these guys. We go to the Four Nations. Jason Tamalola, of course, a man we've talked about a lot. He'll be there in the Kiwi side. For me, boys, honestly, uh, this Kiwi team, how's anybody going to beat them? You've got the new coach, Stephen Kearney. They will just be pumped to the eyeballs. We know they love the long tournament. They get in camp together. I've been together a quick Kiwi team. Now, if you can tell me why they're not going to win it, I'd love to hear it. The great, a lot of hyphens too. I love the uh, hyphen name with the Kiwis. DWZ at fullback, Rapana, SKD, Solomon Carter, Kahu, Lalia Johnson, Jesse Bromwich, Isaac Luke, JWH, there's another one. Harris, Blair, Tomalolo, the list goes on. What an absolutely fantastic team they are going to put on the park. This is going to be a great tournament. You've got Wayne Bennett going over there with England. A lot of excitement about the Poms as well. Australia, they're always strong. I don't think they were overly impressive in the Anzac test. They picked an older side and they made it very clear they just wanted to win. Australia had lost a few times to the Kiwis. Didn't want to take any risks on looking 
forward to younger guys. They picked an older team, Dad's Army. They got the job done. But I go back to it. Who's going to beat the Kiwis and well, how? Well, I disagree. I, I mean, you've, you've nominated such great names, attack, defence, but Sean Johnson... He, he steps up for New Zealand, but I don't think he has a halves partner. And it's the same situation he faces at the Warriors. Uh, yeah, Foran's going to go there next year, but Foran's not playing here. I mean, you said Lolahia, you said Lulawai. I don't think they're, they're proven 5'8s uh, at the top level, and I think that's going to be their Achilles heel. Plus, no, I mean, Kidwell's a rookie coach. Yeah, he's been around the setup, and he's a player's player. I think they will play for him, but this is his first test I mean what's to say he's going to pass it with flying colours yeah I mean I, I agree I think I think they're on paper they're definitely the team to beat the Kiwis I mean even though the last time they were over there which was post-season last year they, they lost the series to to the Poms over there and that's before Wayne Bennett got hold of the Poms um, but yeah I, I agree that on paper they are definitely yeah an awesome awesome looking side and if they click unlike the Warriors you know the, if, if they if they put all that that talent to good use, they're going to be incredibly hard. And to how's stop. Wayne Bennett going to go? Is he going to pick some of these uh, pretend poms? There's a bit of uh, there's a few disgruntled people over in England, so he doesn't want his first campaign kind of uh, rumblings behind the scenes before he even get gets going. Trent Hodkinson's one name that's been thrown around. A lot of guys over there in Super League thinking, "Hey, Wayne, you know we're for real. We're real Englishmen. Let's not start bringing in guys." We saw when Semi Radradra got picked for Australia, there was a bit of you know disquiet there about him. How's Wayne going to go? He's got to control all that, get over there, get them all together. Is it? You know, that, that's a dangerous thing, I think, for England. That uh, you know, that could work against them. Yeah, it could cause some angst, but uh, they've got full belief in Wayne Bennett over there. So I think the heavy hitters there will be behind him. He does face. He's got a few injury dramas, to be honest. Um, Sam Tompkins not going to be playing. Zach Hardiker hasn't played much football at all at fullback. Um, so I mean, Joe Burgess not going to be playing. So. He's got a few holes to plug there, but um, in terms of whether they'll be fully behind him, this is Wayne Bennett we're talking about. This is a coup for them, and I think that won't be an issue at all. Well, I hope he doesn't pick the so-called plastic poms. I mean, Gary Schofield's been blowing up deluxe about this for ages now, and I, I completely agree with him. I think, you know, if you, <clears throat> pardon me, if you if you're talking about the long-term development of the side and the strength of international football, I think importing blokes like that when you do have you know a large competition and a great you know great big bunch of people to pick from who are you know born and bred Englishmen um, I think that that's what they should stick with and I think if he does pick people like Hodkinson and people blow up over there I think they've got every right to yeah, look, I think, uh, and by the way, boys, my apologies to David Kidwell. I gave Steve Kearney the uh, the coaching job. So if I'm going to tip the Kiwis, I better work out who's coaching them. So David Kidwell, good luck to him. I think they're going to be a very powerful side. Jesse Bromwich, we've spoken a fair bit about him leading the way up front. So look, back to Sunday, he is obviously the key man in that in that Melbourne pack. They're going to go, it's so going to be very, very hot. Now, Melbourne, let's face it, boys, is one of the worst weather, coldest places on earth. How are they going to go, these Melbourne boys? I reckon it's going to be about 28 degrees, they're saying, on uh, on Sunday. Any chance of uh, the storm running out of puff? Nah, I mean, that's... Is that something for the Sharks fans uh, to cling on to? No, that's, that's ludicrous. That's, that's, that's bullshit, in my opinion. Um, weather won't play a factor. These guys are professionals. If there's any professional outfit, it's, it's Craig Bellamy's Melbourne outfit. I mean, we've seen that for the past decade. So there's no weather. I mean, if the Sharks are relying on catching... Oh, an underwhelming uh, storm outfit, then they're kidding themselves. So no, that's that's ludicrous. Yeah, I, I don't think it's so much the temperature as, as the uh, 
the lack of rain if, if it's a dry track and you know in good condition and there's no rain whatsoever and the ball's not slippery I think that plays towards Cronulla for sure that they can they can show a bit more of, of what they're about they have more you know expansion in in, uh, in attack than the uh, than the storms to, uh, storm does and um, it'll just help them ask more questions of that great defence so I think a dry game that that sort of I'd be putting a couple of points Cronulla's way on the back of that for sure. Speaking about the, uh, the heat and the cold boys, uh, Shane, in rugby league work this week, the uh, Cronulla boys in the, the cryogenic chamber, it's minus 150 degrees. They're in there for about three minutes at a time. Man, like we've seen ice baths and everywhere, and mere mortals look at those blokes in the ice bath or going out in the sea in the middle of winter the next morning after a game standing out in the water. Honestly, at minus 150 degrees, I'm sure it's doing them some good. They're pretty well advised on these sort of things, but... Uh, Geez, they didn't look all that comfortable in there. The uh, the sharks, boys. I hope it's working for them. No, no. Well, the the Sydney uh, the Sydney doctor who's who's got them onto this was quoted in the in the mag as saying, "Oh, you know, it's pretty much the same as an ice bath." But I find that hard to believe when it's minus one hundred and fifty. Uh, it just shows you the lengths that these clubs are going to to uh, to get the slightest advantage. And um, you know, if it is really warm on the day. I remember back in 2008 in the AFL Grand Final, Geelong actually brought an ice truck out to the ground with them so that they could cool their blokes down at half-time. And um, I'm not saying that the Sharks are going to be doing that, but, you know, they're not alone in doing it. It's something that's been happening in in EPL, in the NFL, uh, in the NBA as well. There have been people using that over there. And the bloke who's who's brought it out over here says there's every chance that all 16 clubs will be using it next year. But, you know, mate... Ice bath is one thing, but even three minutes in that, I, I just don't want to think what it would do to, uh, let's say, certain parts of your body. Well, the only thing that should be in ice on grand final day is the beers for the, the boys <laughs> to celebrate after the game. Let's not have poor blokes being shoved into an ice bath after they've won the grand final. Get rid of the bananas, get rid of all the healthy stuff. Let's just let them have a beer and enjoy it. Sam Thayde actually mentioned to us after the Cowboys put them out in that amazing game in Townsville. We know players lost a lot of weight. They were really drained after it. But uh, tried to ask him actually how much weight he did lose that night. And he told me that uh, all of that went out the window. When you get put out of the comp, boys, forget about it. Don't worry about your your skin folds and how much you weighed before and after the game. He was still cramping up, he said, about 2 o'clock in the morning. So they certainly didn't want to be weighed and find out uh, how much weight they'd lost after their premiership dream had gone up in smoke. Yeah, right. But I think I think this advancement in uh, sports science is, is great. I, I love it. I love knowing that they're on the front foot now. They're taking the lead of these major sports overseas. I, I think it's great. And it's great insight for the fans uh, to see that sort of stuff. Well, yeah, speaking about sports overseas, of course, we had the massive story last week with Joe Williams and Larry Corowa with Colin Kaepernick, of course. Now, we get to the national anthem on uh, at the grand final on Sunday Hard to imagine uh, any NRL player out of these two sides, uh, if there's any of them with Indigenous background, is uh, is going to be taking a knee or are heading off to the side. It, look, it got a huge response, that story, and was even talked about overseas, but uh, can't exactly see it happening this Sunday when no. the anthem's being belted out. No, I can't. I mean, you know, someone like Benny Barber, so for example, just as a first name that pops into, into my head, I, re- I really don't think it's a chance at all of happening. I'd be absolutely stunned if it did. I wouldn't. Stunned is a very different thing from saying I'd be disappointed. I wouldn't be disappointed. You know, I think it'd be a terrific way of making a statement. Just my own personal view, but I think the odds of it happening are just yeah, million to one. Yeah, I don't see it happening. Uh, I mean, could be a bit of a surprise for a lot of people, but no, I don't see this happening. Yeah, look, let's hope the focus stays on you know the game itself. We don't really need that distracting. As you said, Shane, it would be a powerful statement, but. 
We've heard nothing to suggest that it will happen. So, boys, let's bring it home. The anthem gets played. We get out there. It's game on. Going to have a fantastic crowd. Very powerful weapon for Cronulla having basically 90,000-odd people, 80,000 people behind them. Who wins, Shane, and who takes home the medal, the best on ground? I'll say the Storm by eight and Munster for the Clive Churchill. back for you. Yeah, look, for me, I think that we're going to see a replica of the 2012 decider um, between the Dogs and the Storm. Oh, no, not another one of those. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I see I see the Storm grinding this out. I see the Sharks getting there, wanting to do a few things, but I think they'll just be within their shell and uh, the Storm are going to reach too good. And like I said, uh, that man, Jesse Bromwich, is going to run a mark. What we won't see from 2012 is James Graham biting to later <laughs> on the year. Neither of them are there. And I don't think even four years later we'll be seeing another bloke biting somebody. That's probably uh, gone these days. Can't rule anything out. No, we won't rule anything out. It is a grand final. It gets pretty tense. That was, that was an amazing moment, uh, James Graham and Billy Slater. The Storm have done it this year without Billy Slater, amazingly. One game, everyone kept talking up Craig Bellamy, saying he's got three future immortals. Well, this year it was two, and he's still got them there. They're favourites. For me, I'm on board with the Fairy Tale Boys. I'm with Cronulla. Paul Gallen's going to lay the foundation. He'll run for about 180 metres. He's going to take home the medal. It's going to be a sensational game. Hope everybody enjoys it. That's out for today, Rugby League Week podcast. <laughs>